Welcome here. Glad you're here from wherever it is that you're viewing. And uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to continue on in our series called Binge. And we're specifically focusing this morning on binging on the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have a Bible app, for those of you who don't have a Bible connected with you or in your lap right now, in the online platform, there's a Bible app right there for you. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 12 and 13. Now, if you do not know where the book of Hebrews is and you have your physical Bible in front of you, uh, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. And you know what? As strange as it may seem, one of the ways we like to show respect for God's word here at Pathway Community Church is we like to stand for the reading of his word. So would you please, wherever you are on this planet, God's great earth, would you please stand with me as we read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. Here's what it says. For the word of God is alive and active. Some translations say powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that you are God and we are not. And so even in this time where we have physical distancing and anxieties kick in, Lord, we have concerns about all sorts of things that are coming across our social media platforms, our news broadcasts, everything that we are encountering, Lord, seems to want to feed anxiety. And, and so, Lord, I ask that that all of us would rest in you and recognize that you are the God who is stable, you are consistent, you hold all things together so that we can find our rest in you. Lord, may this be this morning, may this be a time of rest so that we can encounter you and encounter each other and be an encouragement to the people we then encounter afterwards. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen. So uh, we all binge on something. We we binge on sometimes even many things. I have a variety of things that I binge on. One of the things, especially when I was younger, that I would binge on was bread. Oh, I would binge on bread. And it really didn't matter what kind of bread it was. I would binge. As a matter of fact, when Janet and I first got married, we would go grocery shopping, and we would die. We, we would not die. Not while grocery shopping. Anyway, we would buy a dozen, sometimes even a baker's dozen fresh buns. And so we would go home, and, and I remember Janet would come up to me, and she's looking for these buns. She said, well, where did the buns go? And I said, I ate them. And she's like, well, we bought them an hour ago. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I would binge on a dozen buns I as a snack. I would binge on a loaf of bread, especially if it wasn't sliced. I would just tear at it and eat it. I would binge on that. Now, I should tell you that, that binging produces something in all of us. So if I binge enough on bread, then it's going to produce a larger waistline. That's just what it does. Enough binging on food and those sorts of things has a tendency to increase, let's say, our waistline or have an impact on our health in some fashion or another. If we binge on negative ads or programming, then we have a tendency to 
get into a bit of a funk for a short time there. I, I know that there are certain individuals I do like to follow on social media. And, and I find that they're so much into debating that a lot of what they have to say is actually negative rather than positive because they're constantly calling people down. And I find that if I watch too much of that, my mood shifts, um, my thinking tends to go a little bit more negative. Now, conversely, if I binge on something that's very positive, I find that my mood is lifted. So, for example, on Facebook, there's a show that I absolutely love, and I keep telling people about it, and it's called Returning the Favor with Mike Rowe. And what they do is they go around and they find people who are doing great things in their community, and then they bless those people who are doing those great things in their community so that they can continue doing more. And my heart is just lifted when I watch that kind of stuff. Janet actually, might from time to time, uh, come into my office or maybe I'm watching it on my phone, and she'll notice that I, my eyes may and or may not be a little leaky from time to time because I'm so inspired by what other people are doing. We binge on all sorts of things. And I want to let us know this morning that what we binge on trains our brains. What we binge on trains our brains. If we constantly binge on the negative things in life, then we're going to be people who think negatively and move in towards that. If we think on the positive and binge on the positive things and, and the good things that are happening in the world, like the Good News Network, uh, and we check out those kinds of things, then it trains our brains in terms of the kinds of ways that we think. So with this in mind, let's talk about what binging on God's word produces in our lives. Now, right on the offset, I, I think that we need to understand that what we do with God's word matters. Our impression and our understanding of God's word matters. If we believe that God's word is simply a book that is to inform us, then we have gravely undermined the potential of what the word of God can be in our lives. So let me say it this way. The Bible is not given to inform us but rather to transform us. I'll say that again. The Bible is not given to us to inform us, but rather to transform us. The uh, book of Hebrews that we were looking at this morning is a general epistle. It's an apost uh, apostolic epistle. It was written mainly to Hebrew believers, and of course you understand that because the name of the book is Hebrews. So we know the audience of the Hebrew people. Now, the author of this, this is where it's interesting. We actually don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Historically, though, it's generally accepted. It was either Paul or Bar Barnabas that wrote the book of Hebrews. It was written in around 67 AD, so very shortly uh, after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then, of course, the spreading of the gospel. And the purpose was, quite honestly, to present the idea that Jesus is better, that he is superior in comparison to anything that Judaism or the Old Covenant had to offer. And so the author then was also writing to a group of Christians who were under intense persecution, and they were contemplating a return to Judaism. So they were contemplating walking away from Jesus, going back to their old ways, and this admonishment that we find within the book of Hebrews is to cause them and to ask them, to plead with them, to admonish them, not to turn away from the truth that they have in Jesus, but rather to go forward in the truth that they have in Jesus. So, that's the context. That's what this book is about. 
And as we relate specifically to these passages that we're going to wrestle through, uh, I want to point out a few things that I think are great things for us to deal with. Now, the first thing would be this. Now, I talked about what the Word of God can be in our lives, but in order to do that, we have to understand that, that there is a relationship that we have with the God, Word of God that is important. The Word of God is a living Word. Now, that's a language that we don't typically use in life. We don't talk about books as living. I mean, the closest thing that I could think of to a living book would be a choose-your-own-adventure book, because it could be different slightly each time that you use it. The Bible is not a choose-your-own-adventure. It is a living text. In verse 12 and 13, it says, for the word of God is living. Now, the Greek word here is the word zon, Z-O-N, and, and it means literally living, and it's written with that aspect to be emphasized. And so we need to emphasize the fact that the Word of God is a living word. It is not a dead letter, but a word, um, the Word of living God that cannot fail to be living. That's what this is. And, and here's the other thing. It's really important to understand that all throughout human history and interactions with words that come from God, the words are always understood to be living. Here's what I mean. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the, listen, living and enduring word of God. And so here, Peter is understanding and he's communicating that we have been born of, of, of non-perishable seed. We are having this come to us through the living word of God. In Acts chapter 7, verse 38, it goes a little bit further. And this is in reference to Moses talking uh, uh, with the people of Israel. He says, He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and listen, and he received living words to pass on. And in fact, that's exactly what Moses did. Moses passed on the living words of God. We believe that, or the vast majority of people believe in Mosaic authorship of the first five books of the Bible, and that's passing things along. We have the Ten Commandments that Moses passed along. We have the Mosaic Law that Moses passed along. And all of these things that he was passing along, he received from God. And these things were considered, understood, and treated as living. And so the word of God is a living word that has been passed on to us. Now, not only is it a living word, some of your translations say that it is a powerful word, and other translations say that it is alive and active, a living and powerful. The word translated powerful, or the word translated active is actually the word energes, and it's actually where we get our word energy or energetic from. The word of God literally means in terms of the idea of it being powerful or active, means that it is at work. That it is doing something. It is not just here on a page waiting for someone to pick it up. There's far more taking place. Now, certainly as we dive into it, as we read it, we'll understand more about it, and it's going to change things within us. Chuckson all says it this way. Chuck Swindoll says, news articles may inform us, novels may inspire us, poetry may enrapture us, but only the living, active word of God can transform us. 
And so it's moving and it's powerful. It's doing things. The Bible is living and active. And so we read the words. When we read the words, they reach out and they touch the needs of our lives in tangible ways. Isaiah 55 verse 11 describes scripture as being the living agent or messenger that God sends out to touch our lives. And here's what Isaiah says. He says, and this is, of course, Isaiah quoting God, my word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So what that suggests then is that when God sends his word out, his word is out, it's doing a work, and when it comes back to him, it's going to have productivity in that work. It is powerful, it is active, it is alive, and it is working. That's exciting. So here's what then we need to understand. That the Bible is living and it produces life. You catch that? The Bible is living and it produces life. Meaning that it moves us closer and closer towards our relationship with the Father and more and more towards conforming to the, the image of the Son. In verse 12, it also tells us that it is a penetrating word. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the soul, oh sorry, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Now like a sharp sword that can lay open and wound people and, and cut down to the, the bone with one slashing blow. So the word of scripture can open our inner life and expose it to ourselves and others. In Rome, there were Two distinctly different types of swords. Now, there was one sword, which was a long sword, that was used, and it just wreaked immense amounts of damage. But there was also a small sword, and this small sword was more pliable. It was be able to be used for offense and defense, and it was double-edged. It cut both ways. What the author is saying here is that the word of God can reach into the innermost recesses of our being. And so here's the good news about that, that as it relates to the word of God and its interaction with us and our interaction with it, that there is no heart that is too tough, no soul that is too dark to be reached. Now, I don't know where you're at in your life. Maybe you feel like you've made so many mistakes in life that God can't have anything to do with you. Maybe you feel as though you're so distant from who God is that he doesn't even want to have anything to do with you. Let me encourage you with this. That the word of God is described as this double-edged sword, meaning that it can cut exceedingly deep. And even through that dark stuff that we believe we have in life. And the purpose of that? The purpose of that is not to make us feel horrible about who we are. The purpose of that is to reach our hearts. No heart is too tough. No soul is too dark to be reached. Now, not only is Scripture alive, and working. When we talk about what it can offer us, I believe that it gives us a heavenly view of our hearts. You know, we've all heard the expression to have a bird's eye view. I actually believe that right now when we engage the scriptures, when we understand it and study it and apply it to life, that we get a God's eye view of our lives. And that the Bible can give me a God's eye view of my heart. And it can really help me to see the things from God's point of view. Now, here's an example of what I mean. God's word can point out our problems. And we'll go back to verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
God is telling us that his word can penetrate deep within our hearts. In our modern era, we use CAT scans and MRIs to be able, and ultrasound machines to look inside of our bodies. But nothing can penetrate us like the word of God can. It can cut through the spiritual calluses that build up around our hearts when we ignore that spiritual side of who we are. And it also can convict us of sin. We understand that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. But as you read the word of God, you are also convicted of sin. And in the event that you're wondering what sin is, here's a literal translation. Missing the mark of what God would have for you. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. And that's one of the most crucial things that the Bible can do in our lives. It can convict us of sin. It guides us. It instructs us. All of us need this conviction because all of us have missed the mark. And so without God's word, there are times in lives that I think it's probably really difficult for us to tell what's right and what's wrong. Now, you may say everyone's born with a conscience, and so that's how we know what's right and wrong. And I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, we're all born with a conscience, but there is... There's something that we also learn from Scripture that I think is critically important to understanding what it means to be born with a conscience. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Without God's word, human beings, we're just not wise enough or good enough to be able to tell what's right and wrong. Isaiah 5 says this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. So All of us need the Bible to be able to evaluate our hearts and our minds because it can really help us see things from God's perspective. How about this one? This is one of my favorites. God's word can point out our possibilities. On the surface, you know, I may not look like much. Uh, but God takes a deeper look. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, God says this to all those who place their faith in Jesus. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen, the old is gone, the new is here. All things have become new. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In 2 Peter 2, 9, God tells Christians that we're part of, listen, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And these are defining statements. These are statements that say, listen, who I was is not who I am when I am in Jesus. And not only is who I was not who I am, I am now royalty with purpose and, and passion. And so this is what the scripture offers me. It offers me my possibilities when I read it. God's word shows me that I have amazing possibilities in life. And then here, this next, this next thing that the scriptures offer us, this next insight that it offers us, is critical. It can give you a clear view of Christ. God gives us a great view of Christ in verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Bible can help us see Jesus like nothing else can. The Bible helps us to see Jesus for who he really is. 
You see in verse 14, we see that Jesus is the Son of God. We see that he passed back into heaven, and, and, and that trip was necessary because he came down from heaven to die on a cross, to be resurrected then, and then head back up to heaven. And he loved us so much that he was willing to do this to take our punishment for that sin, that missing the mark of what God would have for us. He took our death penalty that we might have everlasting life. And also in verse 14, we read that he's our great high priest because he rose again from the dead. So Jesus Christ is the only one who can bridge the gap between God and us. Perfect God, simple man. And we need someone to be that stopgap. We need someone to bridge that gap. And that someone is Jesus. In verse 15, it reminds us that Jesus understands every trial, every temptation that we will ever go through in life, that he understands and has sympathy for our weaknesses because he was at all points tempted like we are. And Jesus has all the power to offer and help us, to offer this to us to be able to walk forward. Now, the other thing that comes along with that is that he had all power to be able to walk forward in this human experience that he experienced without sin. He never sinned. Here's a question. How do you see Jesus? When you look into his word, yeah, you're going to see him highly and lifted up. And, and we read and, and, and even at times sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But do you also see him as understanding you, as standing in the gap for you, doing all that he can for you, loving you? Do you see his humanity? My, one of my favorite examples of this would be Jesus and the disciples are traveling and, and they're heading over into Samaria. And Jesus, listen, because he was tired from the trip, sat down by a well. And he has this interaction with this woman at the well, a woman that he should not have been talking to from a culture he should not have had anything to do with. Uh, and, and so he is having this interaction. And what we find is tremendous divinity, but humanity in there as well, because Jesus's heart reached out to hers. He was thirsty. He was tired. I mean, these are things that we can experience, and Jesus experienced all of these things. And so because of that, we find that the Scripture can actually give us a firmer grip on our faith. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. God wants us to have a firm grip on our faith. And that makes sense, because a stronger faith can help us be more willing to be a witness for the Lord. Stronger faith also allows us and helps us to grow more in our Christ-like endeavors. Like we, we want to become more and more like him. First Peter, uh, sorry, First uh, John chapter 2, verse 6 says that those who are in Christ should live as Jesus lived, and so we want to be just like him. And a good grip on faith also means more assurance when we ask God for help. And that's why in verse 16 it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, not sheepishly, not fearfully, you know, not talking about being respectful because certainly we're going to do that, but not fearfully from the idea that we are suddenly, you know, worried about whether or not God's going to receive us. Come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God loves us enough to listen to us. And if we have received Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we can come boldly to find his mercy and his grace at his throne. So, what we find then 
is that as we continue going down this line of thinking, as we continue to allow the word of God to do something amazing in our lives, I want us to understand that, that as Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That there is some amazing things that can take place in a person's life when we hear the word of God and study it. No other book like this book and never will be. It is alive. It is active. God's word can, be, can give you a heavenly view of your heart, a clear view of Christ, a firmer grip on your faith. This is what it can do. The Bible is not given to inform us, but to transform us. So read it, study it, believe it, and obey it, and allow the word of God to change your life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are exactly who you, are, you say you are. You've given us your word so that we can glorify you. I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to be a people that study it, believe it, receive it, obey it. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen.